you put them on your pizza, you put them in your salads. Sometimes you eat them to go groovy, man. But would you be so willing to eat mushrooms if you heard it screaming for help? And then we meet a young woman who travels back to the home that she grew up in. As she's helping clean up the house after her grandmother's death, she finds a pile of Polaroid pictures strewn across the bed. Little does she know that these photos document years and years of demonic torture. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. We've got a ton of stuff to cover today, so first off, floating into Dead Rabbit Command is another gaseous Patreon supporter. Yesterday we had Mr. Argon, today we have Morphous Gas. Woohoo, yeah, wee, wee! We're clapping our hands through the gas. I'm actually surprised one of you guys, we need a third guy who goes by the name, goes by the name Gaseous Clay. And then we have the gas trifecta, but right now Morphous Gas, this is all about you. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. He's like, why'd you make fun of my name? I thought my name was cool. Your name's cool, too. I'm just saying maybe maybe a third person. Maybe say I'm asking for another Patreon supporter. Whoever you want. Whoever wants to do it. You can be Gaseous Clay. But Morphous Gas, this is your episode. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. If you want to, I heard it's a gas. I heard it's awesome. If you can't support the Patreon, that's totally fine. Just help spread the word about Dead Rap Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your families, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Morphous Gas, let's go ahead and get this party started. We're going to put you in a suit so you have arms and legs, and we're going to hook you up to the hair hang glider. Let's jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command and glide us all the way out to England. Nice leisurely journey across the pond. We're going to England. We got on our bowler hats and our little suits. We're walking around, Charlie Chaplin style. We're walking around like a bunch of weirdos because we're going back to school. We're going to college. Uh, Specifically, we're headed to the University of the West of England. We're at this university, Charlie Chaplin walking on in, and we're about to meet this guy named Andrew Adamatsky. He's the professor of computer science at this college, and he has his little lab coat on. He's probably like so smart, he has two keyboards hooked up to two different computers. He's like, if my calculations are correct, hey, Bridget, run these numbers again. And she's like, yes, scientist, man. And like you see this lady scientist with her with her uh, lab coat on, and she's like looking over stuff. It looks correct, doctor. And he's like, what, I'm a doctor now? Oh, okay, I thought it was just a professor, but I think I just got a promotion. Clickety-clack-clack-clack, he's typing on this stuff, and we walk up, and we're like, hey, Andrew, what's going on? And he goes, you know, science is so crowded these days. Uh, everyone's trying to make a new discovery. So, but I've decided that instead of looking into the stars... Right? The astronomers naming planets after themselves. You're like, Jason, are you going to do this stupid voice? Are you gonna do this? We get it. He's a nerd. We get it. You can stop doing the nerd voice. He goes, you know, scientists are always like discovering stuff. They're always looking out to the sky and being like, hey, I just saw a comet. Name it after me. I'm a huge egotist. I 
Andrew Adamatsky, professor of computer science at this university, have discovered that the true dis- lie not in the stars, but underground, right under our feet. And that's when we look down and we realize his classroom, his scientific office, is covered in soil. We're like, what, huh? And he goes, yes, look at Here I've replaced all of the desks. The students are all dirty. They all look like Pigpen. They're like, could you at least give us a chair? He's like, no, we must experience what we are going to do as close as possible. He's replaced it all with soil and there are all these mushrooms growing. He has mushrooms of all variety underneath us. We're like, what? This is super gross. And he goes, yes, you think it's gross. And it is, but... Listen to this. And he gives us headphones and we put them on and he hits a button and we hear this little voice go, Hello. We're like, what, huh? Who is that? And then you hear a, Hello, don't step on me. We're like, what, huh? What? And we look down and we're expecting to see like an elf. We're expecting to see. We're stepping on a human baby. And he learned how to talk. We look down and there's just a mushroom there. And I start kind of hitting the mushroom with my foot and we hear in the headphones going, ow, 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 ow. As I'm continuing to kick it, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Is this causation or is this correlation? I'm continuing to kick it. Ow, ow, ow. And we take our headphones off. We go, from what I can gather here, we were just listening to this mushroom speak. That's exactly what's going on. It's, okay, you could argue, you could chase it. That's not exactly what's going on. Andrew Adamatsky, professor of computer science, has figured out the language of the mushrooms. He's able to figure out that they're sending these electrical signals to each other, which we kind of talked about. A long time ago, we talked about the world's largest organism. Like, this is in, like, season one or two, Dead Rabbit Radio. The world's largest organism on the planet is a giant mushroom. It's underneath a forest, I think, up in Washington. We talked about... What was that? It was from the conspiracy theory iceberg. Sentient soy. The soy conspiracy. I'll put all that in the show notes. We talked about how mushrooms do have the ability to send these electrical signals back and forth. That's not groundbreaking. What Andrew has done is he's actually been able to tell us not what they're saying. And we already know how they're saying it. He's able to tell us they're saying things like <laughs> Jason, is this another article you barely understood? Is this another scientific article that you're like, oh, I got the gist of it. What he does is he's figured out that mushrooms have a, vo- this is nuts. They have a vocabulary of around 50 words. You're like, okay, Jason, I'm Googling this right now because I know you, I know you're wrong about something. This doesn't sound accurate. This usually happens to me. What happens is I find an article on anomalien.com and I'm like, wow! And then they link to a real scientific study and I'm all like excited. I'm like, what mushrooms can talk? So then I click on the scientific study and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just going to kind of skim it. And then I go back to the anomalien one to get excited again and I type my notes up. Apparently, mushrooms have a language of up to 50 words. And they're able to detect this through these electrical signals they're sending to each other. They're In a way, they're repeated. So they can go, ah, that was a word. That was another word. That mushroom just told this other mushroom something. We don't know what the language is they're saying. 
But we're like one step away from that because they said we can tell that they're they're using <laughs> these uh, short words. As we would put it, there's 50, a vocabulary of up to 50 words of these mushrooms. No. Like, I can just imagine thousands of heads shaking no right now. You're like, nope, nope, Jason. You're not, you're, nope, this is wrong. This is clearly wrong. No, the mushrooms can talk to each other. And apparently the words are as long as English words. So they're not like little short, just like blip. They'd be like rutabaga or spinach they're talking about their neighbors they're like hey buddy who are you living next to is ah rutabag and, sp and spinach two great pals they can talk to each other in words they say the word length is as long as a english or a russian word here's what i'm saying if mushrooms are speaking to each other which we do know they are we've talked about these electrical signals going back and forth between the little the little uh, fibers the roots the mushroom roots and we can go these are the 50 words they use we're one step away from knowing what they say. So you could like take a mushroom and stick a tomato right next to it. Like a, just a tomato. You pick a tomato plant, tomato off a plant, vine, whatever, however they grow. And you put it next to a mushroom. And then we listen for the, like a little electrical signal. And we go, okay. And then we put a banana next to the mushroom and it goes, we're like, oh, okay, this is getting interesting. And you do that for all the different fruits. And then eventually, one day you have a mushroom and you go, eh, and the mushroom goes, banana tomato. <laughs> what does that mean? What does banana tomato mean? I finally made contact with the human overlords of this planet Earth. <laughs> They're speaking gibberish. They just keep saying spinach over and over. <laughs> I figure you can eventually start talking to these mushrooms. Which would be awesome because the oldest organism in the world is a giant mushroom up in Washington. So imagine if you're like, we finally mastered the language of mushrooms. <laughs> you teach one of them how to speak English. You have a little potted plant you carry around with you. And you're like, what'd you say? What'd you say, Barney? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> yes. We finally speak the same language, Barney. You go to this giant mushroom. So the one in Washington, it's actually underground, but we can tell there's like a huge ring where little mushrooms sprout out of it. And it, I'll put the episode in the show notes. I'll put the article in the show notes, but it's a math, massive thing. So imagine you go, now that we can speak the language of the mushrooms, we go out there and we're like, stick a big spike into the right its head. It dies instantly. We're like, oh, sorry. We just wanted to talk to it. We ended up killing the oldest living organism on earth. Or if you could speak the language of the mushrooms, you know, it'd be a really cool idea is spies. Because what you would do is you would, you would put, you'd put Barney, you'd put a little mushroom in a pot and then you'd give them to ISIS. You're like, you know what? We're going to sell you all these stinger missiles. We're going to sell you these machine guns. And just for a discount, you get this free, you get a free mushroom in a, in a potter plant. And they're like, What? Uh, we don't really need the mushroom. We do need all of these weapons to continue our war. But yeah, 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 you this mushroom for free. Also, put it right next to your leader's desk. Put it right on your leader's desk. They're like, okay. And then the mushroom could be hearing all this stuff. And they're like, so these are the plans. We're going to attack this capital tomorrow. And then we're going to send in a bunch of troops. And the mushroom's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they hear it. They see it jotting down notes. He's like, uh. And then later on, you would have like SEAL Team 6 break into the facility and they're like all quiet and stuff. 
And then they're like, we have one mission. They're like, to kill the leader of ISIS. We're passing all these guys are just sleeping in bed. Shouldn't we just like assassinate all these dudes while they're sleeping? No, 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 no. We got a bigger, bigger plan. We have to retrieve the mushroom. They're breaking down doors. Grabbing the mushroom and they take off. And then the mushroom can be like, oh yeah, they uh, told me they were going to attack all these capital cities and stuff like that. It's going to get going to get pretty gnarly. <laughs> they probably should have killed them while they were sleeping. But, you know, there could be a lot we could do if we could talk the language of the mushroom. I would find that absolutely fascinating. How I, I think it's possible someday, maybe soon, maybe within our lifetime, you'll feel bad about like chopping up mushrooms and putting them on pizzas. You'll be like, no, that guy was an American hero. That guy stopped all those terrorist attacks in all the capital cities. But that would change things, actually. We know that plants talk to each other, but if you could hear them, if you could hear grasping like, no, no, my brain's, ah, as you're mowing the lawn, then you would just stop mowing the lawn. I think we would stop doing a lot of stuff. If you could hear them screaming, oh, God, probably stop having lawns would be the first thing. You're like, well, you know, on the one hand, uh, it looks pretty. On the other hand, the constant screaming, let us out of here, we're trapped. Ah! As they get longer and longer, eventually they're peeking in your windows. You're like, guys, I got to cut you at some point. Now you're a bunch of perverts. You're staring in on me while I'm sleeping. The language of the plant world, we will learn it soon. And I... I, for one, can't wait. Morpheus Gas, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We're leaving behind this research laboratory. Wipe your feet off before you get in. A disgusting classroom full of mud and mushrooms. We're leaving behind this place. We're leaving behind the University of the West of England. Take us all the way out to Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> The year is 1990, and that's the year Jessica was born. Me, 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 little crying baby coming out, fresh out of her mother's womb, blood and fluids just dripping off of this little baby. I guess I didn't need to start this story like the second she was born. I didn't need to go that far back. But anyways, Jessica, brand new baby to this world, but she doesn't realize the house she's being born in is a house full of secrets. Because she's a baby. She doesn't even know what a secret is. But eventually, as she's a child, she's a little girl now, she starts to notice that things aren't quite right in the house. First off, her dad's a big scaredy cat. The second the sun goes down, once it's dark outside, he will not leave his bedroom without an escort. So even if it's one of his little kids, he's like, Jessica, Jessica, I really have to go to the bathroom. But it's all the way down the hall. So will you walk me there? And she's like, yeah, sure, Dad. (laughs) She knows it's weird, right? Some kids, they grow up in weird households. They think it's totally normal. But she's like, that's kind of kind of bizarre. She's walking her dad, standing outside the bathroom. And then he's like, I'm done. (laughs) I don't know if he announced every step of it. But she's like, "Okay, Dad, I'll walk you back to the bedroom. He was a big scaredy cat. And when asked about it, he would go, I just have nervous issues. I just get nervous sometimes is all. And his eyes would dart from side to side. He's like, can you walk me to the fridge now? I'm hungry. And she's like, yeah, sure, Dad. And his mother, Jessica's grandmother, was a total weirdo as well. They're all living in this pretty big house. You have Jessica, her siblings, her mom and dad, and then 
grandma, her dad's mother, she she goes, my grandma would walk into a room, would be totally normal, we'd be sitting and watching television, it'd be daytime, so I wouldn't have to walk my dad back and forth around the house. My grandma would walk into the room, and if anything was out of place, like a photo, a framed photo on the wall was slightly tilted, she would flip out and start praying in this super loud, panicky voice. And it would t- be terrifying. We're trying to we're trying to watch television. All of a sudden, she's like, ah! And it, you would think that someone just killed somebody in the house. Like, she's looking at a body. But no, it's a tilted frame. And she'd start praying. And it'd scare us, right? We knew something was off. So the dad goes, I just have nervous issues. The grandma didn't want to talk about it at all. But when Jessica talked to her mom about it, her mom was like, yeah, it's it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Everything's totally okay. They're just, they're, that's your dad and your grandma. Don't worry about it. She just kind of blew it off. And Jessica was forbidden to tell anyone at home what was happening. She was told that not to reveal any of the comings and goings or the weirdness in the house. So she didn't. She just kept it in. She knew it was weird, but it wasn't necessarily harmful. She wasn't scared for her own safety or anything like that. They never would do anything like that. She just thought it was so weird. Well, what happens is she goes through life. She eventually goes all the way through school, graduates high school. It's time to move out and go to college. And she does. She starts her own life and she still has just these weird childhood memories that just made her think her dad and her grandma were eccentric at the very least. Well, in 2009, her grandmother passes away. And in 2012, her father dies suddenly. And I'm sure Jessica had been back to the house to visit, you know, for holidays and stuff like that. But after her father and her grandmother died, she is back at the house and she's helping her mother. Jessica's helping her mother kind of clean her grandma's stuff out. Get the grandma's stuff put together, figure out where they're going to put it, garage sale, whatever. And at one point during this cleaning process, Jessica walks into her parents' bedroom and there's a whole pile of Polaroids sitting on the bed. Jessica walks over and she picks up one of the Polaroids and it's a photo of a knife stuck into a picture of Grandma. So they have this framed kind of family tree type of art display that's like old-timey frame thing. They have little photos of the different people in the family tree. There's a straight-up steak knife stuck right between Grandma's eyes, her photo. Jessica continues to look through these photos. They're pictures of the house that she's in, the house that she grew up in, in total disarray. Pillows shredded open, contents spilled all over the floor, messages written in what appears to be soap or shaving cream on the mirrors in the house. She's looking through these and she asks her mom, what what is all this? And her mom is looking at the photos and she goes, I can't believe your father kept any of these. She kind of trails off 
The mom says, you're going to have a hard time believing what I'm about to tell you. Before you were born, something came into this house. Something dark. Something unknowable. Some people called it a ghost. Some people called it a demon. We just knew it as the entity. This is an article written by Jessica Moffat for the Huffington Post, and it's an ama- it has all these photographs, all these photographs that are going to show all of this damage, and I really recommend you guys taking a look at that article just to see all of the photographs, but let's continue with the story. It's a really interesting look at this family truly being terrorized by this entity. So let's go back in time to 1987. So Jessica has not been born. At this point, you have grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad. They don't have kids in 1987. This all started when one day on one of the bathroom mirrors in the house, there was a message written across the mirror that said, that read, no escape. And based on the photographs, it looks like it was written either like where someone was rubbing a bar of soap on the mirror or it was some sort of shaving cream. The writing was white lettering on this mirror. It said, no escape. And that's when the family starts to document all of these phenomenon. There were weird sigils would be written on the carpets in the house. These weird squiggly lines with these arrows. Rooms would be trashed. Threatening stuff. I mean, again, like, it would be one thing if you came home, and it would be actually more peaceful if you came home and you actually saw a cup levitate across the room. That would be, un- you'd, you'd find it unbelievable. But there's no level of violence to it. Now imagine if you came home and your your living room was turned over. It's completely trashed. Like that's the actions of an angry person, an angry spirit. Violent acts were taking place all around this house for years. They didn't know what was causing it, but they knew it was paranormal. Grandma's prayers weren't really keeping it at bay. So it was time to consult Paranormal experts. They even had Ed and Lorraine Warren. Famous paranormal researchers had a bunch of movies based on them. They met Bigfoot once. I'll put that episode in the show notes. Ed and Lorraine Warren, they came out to this house. And Lorraine said that what was at this house was one of the oldest, most powerful demons she'd ever encountered. Ed and Lorraine Warren came out here and investigated this house. And she said it was super powerful, but she goes, I don't know why it's here. I don't know why it's specifically targeting you. And that's the one thing you would have paranormal experts come out and they would examine the place for varying amounts of time. At one point, they actually have a paranormal researcher living in the house with them. He moved in so he could study this phenomenon. But you're having all these paranormal researchers come out there. You had someone, I'm not familiar with this name. I guess she's very popular. Her name is Dr. Evelyn Paglini. She came out and she said, I don't know why it's here. No one can figure that out. And it is very powerful. But the weird thing is, is the, it's so deeply connected to this family that someone has to be giving it permission to stay. 
We should have been able to get rid of it. Other people have tried getting rid of it. It won't leave. And they know it's not just the house that's haunted because this got so consistent. This would happen so regularly that they would say, you know what, screw it. Let's go to a hotel room for a couple weeks. So grandma and grandpa and mom and dad would go to hotel room or probably two hotel rooms and the haunting would continue there. If they stayed at a friend's house, the haunting would follow them there. So this family was haunted and Dr. Paglini goes, it has to be someone in this house has to be giving them permission for it to stay. Now, Grandma had a theory as to why this spirit had decided to haunt them. She felt it was because the sins of her father. Her father was, apparently, according to Grandma, her father was a hitman for the Cosa Nostra crime families in Southern California. So he murdered people for money to protect the interests of hardcore criminals. And she felt that this dark entity is attached to her for one of two reasons. One, to pay off her father's karmic debt. Or, more disturbingly, that her soul had been sold to this entity by her father. And it was now collecting its prize. It did seem to target the grandmother more than anybody else. There would just have the rooms being destroyed. You had the knife in the photo of grandma. At one point, she physically got chased out of her room by this force. Destroyed her personal possessions. It would go out of its way to destroy things that she owned. And it would hide knives like under couch cushions, under pillows, like places where she would be. But the entire family wasn't fair, right? Even if you're like, well, you know, Grandma, I know that your dad did some pretty messed up things. This ghost isn't after me. It was after everyone. It was about causing a climate of fear and chaos in this household for years. One day, Jessica's mom is walking around the house and she sees. Grandpa standing in a room, standing in front of one of the mirrors, writing messages on the mirror. Well, you go, Jason, so that's mystery solved. That would totally make sense. The grandpa was behind it the entire time. He was the one trashing the place. That's why the haunting chased him to the hotels, because he was in the hotel room with him or right next door. Case closed. The grandpa did it. The grandpa was terrorizing the family. He must have some sort of mental illness. No. The grandpa was not behind it. In part. The grandpa was not the cause of the entity. The grandpa was not causing this hoax to terrorize his family. But he was the one that kept the entity in the house. Like Dr. Paglini said, somebody must be giving it permission to stay here because what Grandpa was writing on the mirror was messages to the demon. 
He didn't cause it to show up. But he was keeping it there. What he was trying to do, they discovered this, they talked to him, they got it out of him, is that he was talking to the entity with the goal that this demonic force would kill Grandma and leave him a large inheritance. At this point, Grandpa is kicked out of the house. Jessica said, I've never met my grandpa. I know nothing about him. He got kicked out of the house. He moved to another state. I have no idea. I don't know anything about him. I've never met him. And growing up, she just didn't have a grandpa. Like, that is something that happens in households, right? You go, well, you know, maybe he's dead. Maybe he moved on. Maybe he's divorced. I don't know. He, she never met the grandpa. But the phenomenon did not stop when he left. He wasn't the one pulling a hoax because they were still getting the messages on the mirror. They were still getting personal property destroyed. They were still in this very threatening atmosphere with the entity. In 1992 is when they have a paranormal researcher living at the house. So he could study this phenomenon. So this is two years after Jessica has been born. You have a paranormal researcher in the house. Here's the thing. Jessica's mom does not want her children growing up in this chaotic household. I mean, it was bad enough just living in it ordinarily as an adult. But now that she had Jessica and, you know, she's starting to have other kids as well. She's planning on having other kids that she would eventually win. She goes, I'm getting rid of this thing. We've spent years dealing with this thing. I Now that Grandpa's gone, if he was the one who was keeping it here, I'm going to tell it it got to get out of here. I'm going to tell it it has to get out of here. And she wrote, the way that they would communicate this, the way that Grandpa would do, is you would write a message on the mirror, and then apparently you would leave, or you would go to another room where there's another mirror, and there would be a message on that mirror. That was the way you would communicate with it. They don't say that they actually see the letters appear in front of them. Which, of course, obviously raises the question of hoaxing, right? I mean, if you saw the letters appear in front of you on the mirror as you're looking at them, that's not a hoax. But you would write on the mirror, and then eventually the spirit would write back. She wrote on the mirror, you gotta leave. You have to leave, this is over. The entity responded saying it didn't want to leave. It wanted to stay. So the mom wrote back, no, you have to leave. You are not welcome here anymore. The paranormal researcher who Jessica did not name, I'd be very, very curious to find out who this guy is or whatever happened to his life. The paranormal researcher, you know, obviously he's privy to all this stuff. They're talking about this spirit being in this house. He's doing all this research. When he finds out they are asking it to leave, the paranormal researcher says, you guys don't understand. This entity is one of the most powerful forces that any paranormal researcher has ever had the privilege to investigate personally. Like you're having very well-known researchers come out here this entity can change my life. Like, you don't understand the raw power this thing has. Like, if you can... I want it. And they're like, what? 
He goes, I want the entity to come with me. Like, we will leave together, but this could change everything for me. So he begins to beg the entity. He's writing messages out saying, don't leave without me. I'm begging you. You can join me, join with me, and we'll leave together. When the paranormal researcher left, one final message appeared on the mirror. It simply said, Goodbye, my family. So that was in 1992. And Jessica spent her life growing up in a household where her dad was afraid to be in the darkness. And grandma couldn't stand anything being out of place because for them, they feared at any moment this entity was going to come back. A picture frame out of place was a sign that the entity was messing with her again. So the grandma would just begin to pray. That panic in her voice was fear. And they were fearful up until the moment that they passed away. The father and the grandmother, they never got over this. It's a terrifying story. And I really would implore you guys to check out the article because the photos alone are just creepy. Right, we hear so much about these ghost stories, and every so often we get like grainy security cam footage of like a blur flying by, or a photo of an orb. These are like old school Polaroids, and while it doesn't show like a shadow hiding in the corner, it doesn't show a ghost girl standing at the end of the hallway, it's just the physical damage that can be left behind by a paranormal entity. Like, imagine if you woke up in the morning and there was a photo of you with a knife stuck in there. I mean, like, just that alone would be creepy. And apparently they were documenting all this stuff because when you do try to get a paranormal researcher into your house, you want to have evidence. You want to say, because obviously they can come in. You're not going to leave the house completely trashed. And they come in, they're like, yeah, it's been like this for a couple weeks. Place has been totally trashed. You're like, did the ghost not let you take out your garbage either? Why are there a bunch of maggots crawling all over that stuff? You're like, ah, I'm just lazy. I'm afraid of ghosts. I don't, I don't ever leave the house. But you would want to maintain some sort of sanity in the house. You would want to clean up after that. But you'd also want to document what was going on in this house. And it's interesting that Ed and Lorraine Warren... Because this is a fairly recent article that was... I think it was from last year in the Huffington Post, I wonder about cross-referencing this Rancho Cucamongo story to, because I know a lot of Ed and Lorraine Warren cases are, you know, written about in books and websites and stuff like that. I wonder if we could, yeah, this was published in October of 2022. So very recent article. Yeah, it's it's just a, an interesting, yeah, there's the message. You see the message that says no escape written on the window. Yeah, this photograph from January 27th, 1988 was taken in downstairs bathroom where the alleged where the entity allegedly did most of its writing. You see these sigils on the ground and stuff like that. It's, it's very very creepy. A bed overturned, all of this stuff. Sorry, I implore you guys looking at the article. As a standard ghost story, it's super interesting. It's a story about a family keeping secrets. You can understand why you wouldn't want your 
kids or grandkids running to school and being like, my house is haunted. My dad can't leave the house because it's too dark. Like you would want to keep all that stuff in house because you sound crazy. Because you would sound crazy. And even though they were bringing in paranormal researchers, you would know that the people who were coming in at least would believe you that the place was haunted versus, you know, the dad's co-workers at work or the children's friends at school. You would just become a mockery of this. And that would just be one more layer to add on the psychic, emotional trauma these people are going through. But what I find the most interesting and the most chilling, and we'll wrap this up like this, is who in their right mind would watch an entity over the course of five years traumatize this family and say, I want that as part of my life. Who in their right mind would do that? Especially a paranormal researcher. You should know better. Because it's one thing for a ghost to be haunting a location. It's another thing for a ghost to get attached to you because you were in that location and you had some sort of spiritual opening that was able to latch onto you. It's another thing completely. It is 100% a different power level that we are talking about when you say, I willingly want you to attach to me. It's the difference between someone having a crush on you at work and you marrying somebody. That's the It's that vast of a difference. If a demon or a dark entity attaches itself to you and you don't know or it's involuntary, there is a buffer there. But when you willingly accept it into your life, you're giving it unlimited power. And knowing how dangerous this thing was, and again, we don't know why it targeted the family in the first place, right? It could have been because Grandma's dad was a hitman. It could have been born out of violence and rage. And you're asking that to come to you. Super dangerous. A paranormal researcher above anyone else should know better. So why did he do it? Why did he make that decision? Why did he take that risk? And the crazy thing is, we'll never know if that risk was worth it. We don't know this guy's name. I mean, listen, if it turns out, if as he's walking out of the house, they're like, hey, paranormal researcher who's been with us, living with us, we never got your name. And he turns around and he goes, Baggins. Zach Baggins. And then he walks out. You'd be like, oh, okay, maybe that was worth it, right? He has all these television shows. He has all this money. He's one of the most famous paranormal researchers living today, I'd argue. You could go, oh, maybe that was worth it. Maybe that was worth it. To me, it wouldn't be right to have a demon flown around me at all times. I'd be like, oh, man, I got to do this ghost show, and that sure is fun. But um, I'm getting poked in the butt with a pitchfork most of the time. But we don't know. I mean, he could have left that house, and I mean, a thousand horrible scenarios could have befallen him. Far tough, you know, far worse than what was happening at this house, because this house, they didn't invite the demon in, but once it was there, it was kept there by somebody 
the grandpa, right? He was keeping it there, trying to make deals with it. But even he wasn't dumb enough, as far as we know, even he wasn't dumb enough to invite it in, right? It it happened to be there, and he was trying to make a deal with it to kill his kill his wife, which is diabolical to begin with. But I'm not saying the grandpa's in a much better position than this paranormal researcher, but again, it's something completely different to marry one of these things, to build that bond, that unholy matrimony between man and demon. Who was this guy? What happened to his life after this moment? We'll never know the answers to any of that. When it comes to the world of the paranormal and the demonic realm specifically, even though the mother was able to get rid of this demonic influence in the house, the scars on the family still remained. The secrets remained hidden from the outside world. The grandmother was always one tilted picture away from falling to her knees and begging God to save her. While Jessica's father would hide in his bedroom, afraid of what may be standing in the shadows, in the place where he should be the most comfortable. Even though Jessica's mother was able to get this demon to leave, the psychic scars that were left by this entity remained for years. Even though this demon walked out of that house, for this family, there truly was no escape. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.